Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Praise God. Uh, if you are viewing online, we want to welcome you. Glad that you are viewing this and believe that uh, I have something tonight that I'm going to share that uh, when you see the subject, it may just throw you off for just a second, but you need to hold with me. I'm going to talk about contentment. Now, I really do understand that this may be kind of an unusual topic considering the time that we are in. Contentment. We just went through Christmas and uh, it was a little different Christmas for a lot of us, wasn't it? Uh, Cindy and I uh, had virtual, virtual Christmas with our uh, kids and with grandkids. And so we, I put it up on the TV and so I could see the grandkids opening up the presents and everything. And they were happy and excited and all. But you know, you just can't get virtual hugs. It's just, just was a little bit, and it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't the same. And so that's just the way it is sometimes. And, and uh, it was all right, but it was really just kind of all right. And, and so uh, contentment may seem like a difficult subject for uh, many of us with the virus and with financial stress, with the isolation that uh, many <coughs> people have had to endure with the political climate, we can almost think I am to be content with stuff. So this is why I want you to hear this, and this is my first point, saying that we should live with contentment doesn't mean just settling for the way things are. Uh, we are not to settle for it if we're always a day late and the dollar short. We aren't meant to settle for being sick or frustrated or anxious. We are not meant to settle for even the, the, just the way everything is in the world. You know, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. You know, it just is, just is that way, and so that's the way it's going to be. And, you know, or just whatever, whatever. That's the way a lot of people view, you know, life. It's just, ah, well, whatever. But listen... That is not what God means by contentment. God's kind of contentment, what He desires for us, is not a resignation to whatever. And the verses uh, we're going to read in just, just a moment uh, will give us a better idea of the contentment that we can draw from and how we can draw from the Lord, uh, that contentment. And it's, it's a portion of Scripture, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to read in the Amplified Version. And it really, these are two of the most 
important verses in all the Bible to me. I have been for a couple of decades now. Uh, it, they, I, it's like practically every time I think about it or look into it, something new just kind of comes. And so that's where this message really was inspired from. And it says in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, let your character or your moral essence, your inner nature, be free from the love of money. Shun greed and be financially ethical, being content with what you have. For he has said, I will never under any circumstances desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless. Somebody say, thank God. Nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently say, the Lord is my helper in time of need. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And so the contentment that we draw from is that Jesus will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and he's our helper. So it's, this is really important. It's not just that he is with us, but he is with us to help us. And so that brings contentment, and it takes away fear. God's kind of contentment doesn't settle for whatever. If it did then prayer would be senseless. Jesus would never have taught us to pray if we were to settle for whatever. And the Lord's Prayer was his model for our prayer life, and it confronted whatever. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus said, In this manner, Therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me break for a moment there. See, if we were to settle just for whatever, we wouldn't pray that way. We just say, well, whatever, whatever on earth, whatever. But he didn't say just whatever on earth, did he? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to confront uh, those things in prayer that are against the will of God on earth. And there's a whole bunch of that going on, isn't there? And we ought to confront it in prayer. We don't settle for whatever. You know, uh, I, I'm going to say something. I have... Uh, uh, for my whole Christian life, I have been pro-life. I have known that abortion wasn't right. I have known that it, and the, 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 the horrible nature of abortion. But, you know, in the last just several weeks, for some reason, this has really been a burden on me. And in my prayer life, I know that it's spirit-generated uh, because I have been praying. You see, we have a tendency to think, well, society has just accepted it. It's the, the law has accepted it. You know, uh, laws can change. And I know that there are a lot of people that think, well, it'll, it'll, it'll never, never change. It's just 
whatever. It is what it is. It not necessarily need to be what it is. Jesus said, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there are things we can confront and confront aggressively in prayer and say, God, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we, we confront those things. We ought to confront those things, right? Then he says, give us this day, our daily bread. I'm glad he said that. Pray this way. Uh, not that, well, I don't have any groceries uh, and never will, whatever. No, he says, give us this day, our daily bread, the provision. Forgive us our debts <clears throat> as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody said, Amen. <clears throat> See, our contentment uh, comes from knowing a God who doesn't want injustice <clears throat> or unrighteousness or poverty to prevail in our lives or through the world. And so we have a contentment that comes from knowing that Jesus is with us and he and that his knowing that he is with us means that change is inevitable. In our lives from sickness and and anxiety and fear and poverty to wholeness uh, and to the riches uh, of His grace and provision. It means uh, that we have uh, can see change in our nation, change in our world. It isn't settling. Contentment is not settling uh, for whatever. And so I wanted to lay that foundation before moving along because that's where a lot of people with contentment, it kind of just rubs uh, uh, in the wrong way because they think, am I just supposed to settle for whatever? No, we don't settle for whatever. Uh, but we need to be content. Now, Hebrews 13 and verse 5 encourages us to be content with what we have. Now, we are not always good at being content with what we have. John D. Rockefeller lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and he was—he really was one of the wealthiest men to have ever lived. The money that he accumulated while he was alive, today it's estimated would be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $340 to $400 billion. Now, that's a lot of money, isn't it? And someone, someone once asked him, he said, uh, how much money does it take to be happy? And he said, just a little bit more. We're not always good at being content with what we have. Now, I know some may be thinking here or you're viewing online, you're thinking, you know, I, I really think I could be content with $400 billion. Or some may be even thinking, you know, I, I could be content with a measly million. But Hebrews 13.5 encourages us, be content with what we have. Now, that is a tall order for a lot of us. 
when I was a young believer in Flagstaff, that's where I got saved, I owned a 1965 Volkswagen van. And, uh, you know, it had uh, uh, those, those sliding windows in the front that you, you'd pinch and, and move back and forth. But they, I think there was a piece of uh, weather stripping or something missing from between those two panes of glass on my van. And, and so in the wintertime in Flagstaff, back in those days, we got a lot of snow and wind and cold, cold, cold. And, and so in the winter, the snow would be blowing and it would blow in between those window panes and it would start to form a little pile on the, on the floor of uh, right by my feet. And I'd drive in that van and it, it was cold. It was heated that those old vans, they, they called it a trickle heater. And what it was is it just uh, was the heat from the engine, which is in the back of the van, uh, would kind of trickle up toward the front, and that was it. There wasn't a fan blowing heat anywhere, and so it just kind of trickled. And I tell you, in Flagstaff in the wintertime, that trickle heater just didn't do it. It didn't trickle very good, and so I'd be I'd be driving that, and I'd bundle up like Nanook of the North, you know, driving and it's freezing. Finally, I got enough money to buy a 1972 Buick Skylark, and I remember the sensation in the winter of turning up the heater and the fan on that heater and all that hot air blowing in. And I'm telling you, there was such a sense of immense contentment. Wow, this is, this is awesome. And then uh, to, uh, beyond that, in the uh, uh, summertime when it was hot, I turned on the air conditioner. I had cold air blowing on me. And I thought, man, what more could a man want? And I had that sense of contentment. But, you know, it's been a while since I turned on the heat in my car and felt that same sense of contentment. Uh, and there's probably a lot of us that have a lot of things that we get used. We just get used to having them and take for granted, like a warm bed. The other night, just a couple of nights ago, I I crawled in bed and pulled the covers up over me. It was cold outside, and I pulled those covers up. I felt the warmth, and I thought, man, that's that's really good. And I thank God. Uh, I think we ought to do that more. We should notice and appreciate the small comforts in life and not take them for granted. They're a blessing from God, aren't they? Now, probably most of us get used to expecting certain things like our cars with heaters and uh, warm beds and things like that, but it would be really good for us to remember how good God has been to us, uh, even in the small things, and practice being more content. Now, it has been almost 25 years since I lived in Africa, but the time that I spent there gave me an appreciation for what we have here. And I'd like to be able to tell you that I, I never take for granted what I have here, but I, you know, the years have passed, and, I, and the truth is, I, I know that I take for granted certain things, like electricity. 
when I turn the switch on, uh, the, the, the lights come on. That's kind of nice. But I just take it for granted. I flick the switch, and it comes on. And not only does it come on, but I've got a uh, dimmer switch, and I can, I can increase the light or decrease the light however I want. When I'm uh, drinking a cup of coffee and it's cold, you know what I do? I just pop it in the microwave, heat it up, then drink it, and, you know, get it hot, and that, that, uh, that, that makes me feel happy like that. That's, a, that's, that's a hot cup of coffee. And if I want to keep that cup of coffee hot for several hours, you know what I do? I just pour it into my Yeti cup. And I'll keep it hot for several hours. And, you know, all of these things, it's pretty good, isn't it? But we have a tendency to kind of just get used to it. You know, we really don't know what a luxury electricity is. In, in Malawi, there are a lot of people that live in villages with no power. They, uh, they cook over a wood fire and oftentimes draw water from a hand-dug well. If, if they uh, have, are in a village where uh, a relief organization has come in, sometimes they've got a pump and they can pump the water. But, but oftentimes they're drawing uh, water from a well that has been hand-dug with a bucket and a rope. And so that's just, that's just like the luxury for them to turn on a light switch and have po the power come on, uh, have a heater, have an air conditioner, uh, having hot and cold running water is just completely unknown for uh, hundreds upon, uh, actually millions of people worldwide. We take our cars for granted. A lot of us have more than one car. Not only do we have more than one car, but a lot of us, we've got, you know what, we got? we've got houses for our cars called garages. There are people all over the world who would think it's an absolute luxury to live in our garages. Now, as I'm saying all this, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Uh, and my purpose is not to shame us uh, because of everything that we have and the blessing that is ours. My, my point uh, is that we should be more appreciative and content with everything we do have. And I think the problem I have and, and maybe uh, others have is that we get used to having so much that we miss appreciating it. And not only that, but we mistakenly think that if we just had something more, that we could be more content. Like Rockefeller, you know, how much money does it take to be happy? Just a little bit more. True contentment only comes from our relationship with God. We draw it from Him. Now, I had an experience, this is kind of story night tonight, and it's to, to uh, illustrate uh, this contentment. But I had an experience in Malawi while I was living there that uh, impacted my life significantly. 
I traveled from, from Malawi with a couple of national pastors. Uh, 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 many of you have heard their names before, Alex Chambaro and, and uh, Charles and Tunya. They were two guys that I worked closely with in Malawi. And we traveled from Malawi to, to a village in Mozambique called Kambalat Sisi. And it was, a, it was a really raw village. There was no electricity. There was no running water. Uh, the, the cooking was done over an open fire uh, uh, and, and all of that. And village life is really hard. It was a hot and uncomfortable place. You and I really cannot even imagine what life is like daily for people who live like that. We, it's, it's beyond our imagination. But listen, that night, they built a, a, a bonfire, big campfire, and around that fire, the whole village came together, and they began to sing and worship God. And I didn't know the language. It was a different uh, uh, they spoke a different language than they did in Malawi. Malawi, I could, I could understand a lot of the words Chichawa, but with this, they, they weren't speaking Chichawa. And so I had no idea of the words of the songs. There was no, the only music instrument was a, uh, a, a handmade drum that was out of a stump and a, a piece of cowhide over it. And, and so they were singing, they were worshiping God, and I'm telling you that, that God showed up. And it was, it, the, the experience, it was because I didn't understand the words, but I'm telling you, I understood the Spirit. And I, I, to this day, I get, I get goosebumps thinking about it because it was so awesome to be there at the, uh, in this life that was so difficult, uh, so challenging, and yet they're worshiping, they're praising God, uh, and the guy that was beating the drum had uh, deformed hands. They were just kind of gnarled up. And, and this guy, and I am really not over-romanticizing this, he was... He was beating that drum, and, and they were singing in, in chorus to the, to the drum, and his face literally was glowing, worshiping and praising God. And, and life was hard and brutal, but you know what those people were showing? Deep contentment because they knew Jesus and loved him. I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. Still impacts me to this day. And I, and I think, you know, if they can have that sense of contentment with Jesus, how much more should I, how much more should we when we have such plenty? You know, you and I can be living a dream life and not really even know it. In I'm going to read that again in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Well, anyway, just imagine it with me. Let your character, your moral essence, your inner nature be free from the love of money. Shun greed, be financially ethical, 
being content with what you have, for he has said, I'll never leave you under any circumstances, desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax my, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently say, the Lord is my helper in the time of need. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? See, this is where our contentment comes from. It comes from knowing Jesus, doesn't it? From knowing He'll never leave us, never relax His hold on us, never leave us helpless. He is our helper. And that word that's used here for helper means one who comes running when we cry for help. He's not uh, aloof from what we face. He's there to help us. He's not only there, He's there to be our helper. Somebody say, thank God. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. This word godliness that's used here, is, is, it means having a Godward attitude. It means our attitude or our life is directed toward God. We're godly or God-minded. Our focus, our dependence, our reliance is on Him. And the more God-minded we are, the more content we are because we know He's with us and He's going to take care of us, right? Now then, following that, a couple of verses later, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, it says, "...and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content." Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse and think about it, it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, uh, it almost sounds like, well, I guess I'm supposed to be satisfied with a burrito and a pair of jeans. But it's not wicked or evil for us to ever desire or want anything more. It's that we shouldn't let our wants and desires affect our contentment. Paul isn't saying that our expectations should just be minimal. All you, all you need is a burrito and a pair of jeans, maybe a shirt and a belt and a pair of socks and some tennis shoes. And that, you, you know, he wasn't saying that we don't ever have a desire for something else or more. In fact, in, in Philippians 4, 11, 13, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he says, my contentment, and this is what he's saying, it's not dependent uh, on what is happening in my life at the moment, but that, that Jesus is with me. Now, just uh, several verses below that, he writes, and this is the same guy, Paul, writing, and he says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And so as I wind this up tonight, Paul is not saying that we settle for next to nothing, but that what we have at the moment shouldn't affect our contentment because you and I as the people of God know Jesus. 
we know the Creator, and knowing Him, we understand that He is going to provide for us. And so out of that, knowing Him, knowing that He's our helper, we draw contentment. I want you to say this with me. I'm content in Jesus. Praise God. Let's bow our heads tonight. Tonight as we uh, just close in a word of prayer, if you're here or if you're viewing online and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, I know what I'm speaking about tonight because I know what it is to have absolutely no contentment. Before I gave my life to Christ, I didn't know. I mean, contentment was uh, uh, something that was so far from my imagination, couldn't even, couldn't even fathom the idea of being content until I got saved and Jesus came into my life. And you know, when I found him, I found what, what the Bible said, I found it all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. And tonight, if you've never given your life to Christ, I want to pray with you here in the building or, or your online viewing, and I, you want to receive his forgiveness, I'm going to pray with you right now. And I want you, where you are, just to repeat this out with me. And if all of you here would just repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I know that my life has not measured up at all to what you have desired for me. But I believe you died for me. And I ask for your forgiveness. Cleanse me from all of my sin. Come into my life and help me to know the true meaning of contentment in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, can we? Thank Him. <clears throat> Praise God. Well, God love you. God bless you. I pray that, uh, you know, we as we go and as we lay down tonight, as you pull those covers up over you in bed tonight, I want you to just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Appreciate that we appreciate what he has blessed us with and that he's going to continue to supply and provide for us. Can you say amen? amen. God bless you. Good night. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.